Hello and welcome to the Football Collective Podcast. The Football Research Podcast for debate and discussion, highlighting members of the collective, their research and all football related things in their life. The first week of the academic year is almost at a close now, which means we're also closer to our November conference in Glasgow. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce the opening keynote speaker at the conference, Sol Wolfers. How are we? Hi Jos, thank you. I'm really well, thank you. So, obviously, summer's finished now. I'm, I'm a little bit gutted. Um, I've been away on a, a bit of a holiday as well. Um, and I've seen you have as well. You've been all over the place this summer. How was that? Oh, yeah, I had a really nice summer. And actually, we also had great weather here in Hamburg. And, yeah, but now today is the first day of autumn. So I'm also a little bit gutted, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> November comes closer, so it's good. I'm, I'm suffering from a little bit of a cold myself just recently um, this week, so that, apologies if I sound bunged up on the podcast, everybody, but <laughs> I think this, this slight change in two degrees has maybe hit me harder than I've expected. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, so, obviously, thank you for coming on. Thank you for giving up your time. I know it's probably very busy coming straight back into it with everything yeah, thank going you for on. Having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. Um, but for members of the collective and other listeners that will be listening in that might not know you as well, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, your background and how you end up coming into academia? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as you may hear from my accent, I was born and raised in Germany, uh, which is also where I started my academic path. So it was 2010 that I started my like uh, BA in cultural anthropology and Italian at the University of Hamburg, so I'm from the north in uh, Germany. And I really found this BA really interesting, but I don't know, I hadn't really caught, let, yeah, let's call it the academic fire yet. <laughs> so, and that's why I decided to apply for jobs instead of proceeding with a master's degree straight after the BA. And then in 2013, I started a traineeship in public relations and I ended up working in PR for two years in total. Um, I must say I really enjoyed the consultancy aspect and working with people, meeting goals and organizing events. All that was really great fun. But at the end of the day, um, the job just wasn't 100% for me. So I started looking into possible master's degrees. And I very quickly had my eye on the UK, I must say, because, um, yeah, the master's degrees are only one year in comparison to two years in Germany. Um, and because I've always been passionate about language and how it impacts our lives as social beings, I very quickly decided to do an MSc in, watch out, intercultural communication for business and the professions, wow. <laughs> which is mouthful, <quite> <laughs> yes, at the University of Warwick. Um, so yeah, in 2000, 2015, I packed my bags and I moved to England. Uh, uh, and that turned out to be one of the best decisions that I could make. And yeah, I know it may sound a little bit cheesy, but in Warwick, I really did fall in love with academic writing and doing qualitative research. And then, um, yeah, so how I got into what I'm doing now is uh, I just wrote an assignment on trash talk about, uh, yeah, trash talk between the two boxers, Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko. And I analyzed how they both do impoliteness. And during this assignment, I just had a sort of an epiphany. And I realized how fascinating sports as a context are. 
And I just felt like in sports, people often don't just do their jobs. Um, it may as well be their passion that they turn into a job, which to me made the field the more exciting. And on a more personal note, in northern Germany, uh, we have quite successful handball teams. And my parents, um, they have t season tickets for THW Kiel. Um, and my dad, he started taking me to matches uh, when I was really young. And yeah, and that's when my fascination for team sports started growing. Um, yeah, but handball uh, turned into football at some stage. So yeah, I hate to be the cliche, but my boyfriend, he took me to some football matches, actually. And I enjoyed it that much that wherever we travel now, we try and go see a match. Um, and I think in stadiums, you meet so many exciting people and the atmosphere is just amazing. It is, I don't know, like we, we very likely uh, made have become friends with strangers for 90 minutes because it's just so cool, I think, the whole environment. Um, yeah, but coming back to my studies, those were the reasons why for my master's uh, thesis, I then decided to research an elite football team from Germany. But what would you say the strangest stadium you've been to then, uh, if, if, you've, if you could pick one for the whole atmosphere and the, the stadium and the people, what would you say is, is the most peculiar and which would you probably recommend for people that want to do the same um, sort of thing? I would have to pick one day, it was in Italy, um, in the morning we went to see a Rome match, like as Roma, yeah. and then uh, instead of going home we decided to drive further south and then went to a Naples match. And though, like this contrast of the stadium in Rome and then in Naples, that was just ridiculous because it was completely different. One was more like, I don't know, nicer in, that, in the sense that it's very modern and yeah, and then Naples is complete opposite. But the atmosphere there was absolutely amazing, and people like took us in kind of like under their wing, like uh, fans from Naples, and they, yeah, made the whole experience that much cooler. I think that was, yeah, from the atmosphere, probably the most exciting I've seen. That's quite an impressive feat to go from Rome to Naples in a day and watch a game of football. Um, yeah. <laughs> something I wouldn't mind doing myself. So I know you've previously mentioned to me that you did some research during your MSc. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so what I did for my MSc was an explorative microethnography. Uh, a friend of mine was actually a football coach of an under-19 um, male elite football team from Germany, and he was kind enough to work as a gatekeeper, and he facilitated access to his team. And then I was able to do observations, audio recordings of authentic interactions, and also interviews with uh, some of the players. And initially, I had sort of a broad interest in how the football players communicate with each other in general. So I was looking for patterns and how the players were talking with each other, really. And after this, different discursive strategies started to emerge, I decided to focus my projects on the functions and perceptions of racialized humor, which was a very dominant theme in this context. Um, so yeah, the football players, they readily drew on uh, racial stereotypes that were often disguised as humor. And one can say that humor works as a double-edged sword, because on one hand, it unifies the team through the shared laughter, for example, uh, but at the same time, it sets up distinctive subgroups along uh, those racial lines, which can then potentially fragment the team and negatively impact the overall team cohesion. Um, and this has also been called the paradox of duality uh, that is inherent in humor. And together with who are now my PhD supervisors, Kieran File and Stephanie Schnoor, I published my thesis in the Journal of Pragmatics, which kind of gave me a taste of what an academic career could look like. And yeah, so it's safe to say that I liked it. And I then started my PhD in 2017 under the supervision of uh, yeah these two amazing people. And I decided to build on my master's thesis. 
So that's your current project, your thesis around racism and a paper around gender. Um, obviously, without giving too much away, because you you obviously won't be allowed to. Can you tell us more about um, that and how it's going, or any challenges you've faced? Uh, yeah. So my PhD thesis, uh, as you say, yes, builds on my previous work. So I again used audio recordings um, of interactions and then um, observations and interviews as my data collection methods. But this time around, I just kind of felt that I wanted to step up my game, uh, so to say. So, And I was really lucky because I was allowed to collect data with a professional football team from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and I followed this team around and was with them, for example, in the locker rooms, on the sideline, in the gym, on the team bus or running through the forest. Uh, and that all happened before, during and after um, trainings and matches. So I really immersed myself in the field and getting to know the players, also the coaches and the staff and yeah, the communication, and I got to know that quite well. And just like in my previous project, the all-male team, um, they were made up of uh, players with and without migration background. And again, racialized discourse emerged as a defining criterion of the uh, team's discursive repertoire, which is why it became my focus again. Um, Yeah, it appears to have become normalized and accepted practice uh, within both of these contexts, which can potentially uh, cause problems, such as the before-mentioned fragmentation, um, which can also end up marginalizing uh, minority players. So, yeah, but also not by being challenged by any of the players, this like discursive uh, behavior that they have. The frequent use of racial stereotypes keeps these discriminatory, uh, discriminatory boundaries alive and it makes them appear harmless. I think especially now with everything that we have heard on the news about, for example, Mesut Özil or just recently Serena Williams and many other sportsmen and women, we can all agree that the topic of racism in football and sports more general is very hot. And more importantly, it is crucial that we understand its workings better in order to find ways of raising awareness and also, in the end, counteracting racism in the game. So, yeah, to answer uh, the second part of your question... Um, during analysis stage, which is where I am at the moment, uh, where I was looking for recurring themes and shared behaviors such as racialized humor, I found that in both research projects, the participants predominantly uh, related to me in terms of gender. So that's the paper you were talking about. Um, Yeah, and I mean, football is well known for being a context in which hegemonic notions of masculinity are still normative, and female researchers like me uh, may come across several challenges. And that's why I decided to write a paper on gender issues during the research process. Here, of course, it's important to say that gender is only one of many intersecting aspects impacting data collection. So I can only speak for myself being a white, able-bodied, middle-class female academic. Um, Yeah, so that limits uh, that in a sense. But in the paper, I'm hoping to contribute to a broader understanding of the strategies that female researchers have at their disposal for managing their own positionality in such masculine research sites, um, such as the male professional football team that I've been working with, uh, where female researchers may come across sexist treatments by uh, participants. And yeah, I don't want to jinx anything as I'm still revising and I haven't submitted yet, but I'm yeah really excited about the topic of gender as well. Brilliant. It sounds like it's going well and obviously you're in a good stage with that. So I do wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, so let's just... Go back to the collective now. Um, mm-hmm. So, what led to you joining the collective, and, and what are the best parts about the collective? You could would, mm-hmm. you, would you say sorry? Um, yeah, actually, a friend and also a colleague of mine from Warwick, Dan Clayton, he uh, told me about the football collective, uh, and that's why I checked it out in the first place. And when I then read about it, I just 
kind of quickly realized that I wanted to be part of it. Um, also because I wanted to tap into a non-predominantly linguistic environment because that was new for me. Um, so last year I went to my first The Football Collective conference and I really enjoyed it, I must say. I did a poster presentation. Despite not finding the room at first, I then uh, yeah, had a really good time and I was overwhelmed by the supportive nature of the collective. Um, also helping me find the room, I must say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I met so many great and fascinating people that not just on an academic level, but also on a personal one, I would say I already like value highly. And yeah, to sum it up, I think by being interdisciplinary, the collective holds lots of opportunities um, because there are so many different perspectives on the same topic. So to me, being a member of the collective uh, means getting to learn a lot but also just to bounce ideas off people, really. So I think it's a really great network. So you mentioned the conference that you went to. Um, obviously, this November in Glasgow at Hampden Park, in the, the last week of November, um, we have the 2018 Annual Football Collective Conference, Challenging the Narrative. Um, you are the opening keynote speaker. Um, first of all, are you nervous? Are you looking forward to this? And what can we expect to hear from your keynote without giving too much of it away? Yeah, uh, okay, I'm super excited, of course nervous, <laughs> but first of all, I'm really honoured uh, to be the opening keynote, and I think it is a really great signal to early career researchers just like me, and also to women who make their way into tra uh, traditionally male-dominated uh, context. So yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> and in line with the topic of the conference, um, I titled the keynote, uh, Challenging the Status Quo, Female Representation in the Footballing World. And here, based on my studies, I will be reflecting on my own negotiation of the masculine world of football, uh, Yeah, coming from a female researcher's perspective then. And I will discuss how female researchers can challenge the dominant narrative while engaged with fieldwork. And yeah, by doing so, I want to provide concrete examples from my own projects uh, of where I was, for example, the butt of the humor or very explicitly made an outgroup member, which was based on my female identity. And with this regard, I will be discussing how the decisions to challenge or tolerate sexist treatment during field work may impact not only the data collected, um, but also the research outcome itself. And yeah, ultimately, I want to pose the question whether we need to change anything with how gender is treated uh, in our field of inquiry. Well, from my own perspective, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that um, in line with the, the, the panel that Alex Colvin is chairing. Um, yeah. Hopefully learn a bit a little bit more from, from my point of view um, as, a, as a young um, white male about the, the issues that some women can face in football. So I am really looking forward to that. Um, the last, last question I have for you, um, yeah. thank you for joining us of course, is what advice would you give to early career and uh, early career researchers or people that are aspiring to get into research or people that have the, the potential to and what, what, would you, what would you say for them getting in and, and why should they? Um, okay, so I think that's a really tricky one because I am still an early career researcher myself, but for me, personally, it has proven really helpful to put myself out there, not just shy away of um, senior academics, because, yeah, I think there's a great chance in just talking to people. So when we feel like we have to say something, we should just say it. So going to conferences, talking to people, inviting ourselves to coffee or beer with more senior academics to discuss ideas. It just, yeah, it helps a lot. And also uh, important to me is to accept and embrace feedback. Uh, even if it makes one feel defensive or attacked at first, there's usually something to gain from it. Um, and I, I think I have uh, progressed in that <laughs> a lot. So, yeah, I think 
uh, yeah, feedback is so important and it's uh, very helpful to really accept it and just like take a moment to really uh, digest everything and then see how you can turn it into something cool. And um, yeah, during the conversations where I'm just, because I like to just call people up or drop them an email, I just realized that when I talk to all these people, I just refine more and more, not only what my topic really is, because it's all obviously ever-changing, uh, but also what my researcher self is or can be. And I see this persona as well as the entire PhD project as a work in process. Um, and that is, yeah, just altered by all the experiences that I make along the way. And for me, it's just really rewarding. I, so far, <laughs> uh, touch wood, I have really enjoyed the whole PhD journey. And I can only say that it's absolutely worth um, dedicating yourself to a topic for three to four years, however long it takes. Um, yeah, I think it's great fun and it's just nice to see how you can put your ideas at, like at conferences out there and then just discuss it with people and get opinions and gen yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank you so much. No problem whatsoever. And to uh, to be able to access uh, keynotes such as Souls that I'm really looking forward to. Um, there's a really good program being put together by the Football Collective. Um, get yourself up to Hamden Park. I think it's the the 29th and the 30th of November. The tickets are on Eventbrite. Hamden Park. Scott Brown might not think it's suitable for a football game, but let's hope it's suitable for an academic conference. Um, <laughs> so once more, thank you again, Salt. Um, thank we'll be you. back next time.